1: From designing better camouflage to making quieter trains, we humans have been learning quite a lot from the animal kingdom. This growing area of research called biomimicry is explored in a BBC series called 30 Animals That Made Us Smarter. And one of those 30 animals is the woodpecker. In order to withstand
2: over 1,000 times the force of gravity, a woodpecker's skull is designed to absorb shock and minimise damage. A bit like a sponge, the skull can compress and expand. The bone that surrounds the brain is thick and spongy and packed with something called trabeculae, which are a bit like microscopic plates. And this forms a tightly woven mesh which provides support and protection and stops low-frequency vibrations from passing through. It's essentially armour for the brain. (laughs) Woodpeckers also have a highly adapted hyoid bone. In humans, the hyoid serves as an anchor for the tongue. It's tucked away at the root of the tongue, in front of the neck, between the lower jaw and the voice box. In woodpeckers, this solid, springy, bony support is much longer and forms a loop around the entire skull, which acts as a safety belt for the brain. The brain itself is small and smooth and held in a tight space so it doesn't move around too much unlike our brain, which is surrounded by fluid. When the woodpecker's brain does collide with the skull, the force of this impact is spread out over a larger area. This makes them far more resistant to concussion. A woodpecker's beak also helps prevent trauma. It's extremely strong and doesn't fracture or bend. So, let's just recap. We now know that woodpeckers have four shock-absorbing features. The first is a hard but elastic beak. The second is the hyoid, a springy tongue-supporting structure that extends behind the skull. Third, an area of spongy bone in its skull. And finally, a skull design which suppresses vibration. So it should come as no surprise that woodpeckers and their shock-absorbing capabilities have attracted a lot of interest. Sang Hee Hoon and Sungmin Min Park at the University of California in Berkeley in the United States of America wanted to protect electronic devices like flight recorders on board planes from the damage caused by high impacts. They studied video and CT scans of the head and neck of the golden fronted woodpecker to identify the areas that absorb mechanical shock. They used these as a blueprint to build a mechanical shock-absorbing system to protect microelectronics that works in a similar way to the woodpecker's skull. They started out with a cylindrical steel metal enclosure, which mimicked the beak. Then, they added a layer of rubber within the cylinder, which mimicked the hyoid. They replaced the spongy bones with glass beads in which the sensitive electronics were placed. And finally, they added a second layer of metal to protect the microelectronics. Hoon and Park then placed their system inside a bullet and used an air gun to fire it at an aluminium wall. In their tests, the electronics were protected against shocks of up to 60,000 Gs. Today's flight recorders can only withstand shocks of about 1,000 Gs, so the design could offer much greater protection. Studies of the woodpecker might even feed into motorsports like Formula One, where the challenge is getting drivers to decelerate in an accident in such a way that their internal organs remain intact. I'm obsessed with Formula One, and I remember watching on television Fernando Alonso's horrifying crash in Melbourne, Australia in 2016. His car made contact with another one at 305 kilometres an hour and then barrel-rolled through the air before crashing into the barriers. He experienced three high-G decelerations, one at 45G, one at 46, and a final 20G load for good measure. Miraculously, thanks to neck and head support systems, sophisticated seat belts, and a cleverly designed cockpit, he was able to walk away with his life. The hope is that newer and even better ideas may come about from this area of research. But away from the racing track and back on the public roads, the woodpecker has inspired a keen cyclist. Anuruda Surubi was riding his bike through London, England when he had an accident. He was wearing a helmet at the time, but it cracked and he was rushed to hospital with concussion. At the time of the accident, Surubi was doing a master's degree in design at the Royal College of Art and was looking for a project for his final year. Suddenly, he had his answer. Design a better bike helmet. Once again, it was the woodpecker that came to the rescue. Ruby was particularly interested in the hyoid bone and how it wrapped around and over the top of the skull like a natural seatbelt. And then there was the flexible spongy cartilage, which acts as a shock absorber against repeated blows. He began building versions of his design using different materials, starting with glass, then rubber, and ending up with cardboard. After hundreds of lab tests of each material, he finally settled on cardboard. But this wasn't just any old cardboard. He designed a special dual-density cardboard with an internal honeycomb structure. To construct the liner, he laser cut ribs out of honeycomb cardboard and assembled them into an interlocking helmet shaped lattice. The lattice was designed with more give, more flexibility than the commonly used polystyrene foam liner, so that the flex would soften the blow, and air pockets inside each individual rib would absorb the impact as well. All with the aim of offering better protection to the head of the person wearing the helmet. In lab tests, the cranium liner, as he called it, not only performed well at absorbing force, but because the liner was 90% air, it was also light and recyclable too. Sue Ruby has since worked with a number of people to bring the liners and the helmet to market. So, next time you hear a woodpecker drumming, just think how this bird's headbanging has inspired designs to make the world a
1: safer place. Some of 30 Animals That Made Us Smarter, hosted by Patrick R. Yee for the BBC World Service. And I spoke to Sarah Blunt, who produces the show, about why the idea of humans copying animals, biomimicry, why it first attracted her. Biomimicry is just a brilliant
3: way of looking at those connections between animals and people. I mean, the series is is about animal behaviour, but it's also about us. It's about what we can learn from looking at animals and using the ways in which they solve problems in our own design, technology, engineering. And what's been really interesting is that in some of the earlier podcasts, we've invited people to send in their own ideas. If they know of of a good idea and send it in. I had one this morning from a 13-year-old boy, in fact, who listens, he told me in his letter, that he listens to the podcast on his way to school every week. And he came up with a super idea. It's incredible. It's about using scorpion venom to identify cancerous tumours in the brain. An agent has been synthesised from an amino acid found in scorpion venom. And this agent, as it's called attaches itself specifically to this rather rare tumour that's found in the brain. And what the scientists are doing are adding fluorescent dye to the amino acid so that it lights up in the brain, which means that they can then target very specifically where this brain tumour is. Wow. Well, I mean, that's just great. And for a 13-year-old boy, you know, who has been inspired by the series to then write in with that idea. And, you know, who knows, we may not be able to have time to squeeze it in this series, but it'd be great if, you know, if we do another series to try and include it.
1: Do you have your target listener in mind? I mean, who's the series pitched at?
3: Well, that actually has been a surprising thing. I mean, we we aimed it originally, you know, that sort of what we call the younger audience, which is that sort of 17 to 25-year-olds. But what's been really interesting is that much, much younger listeners have been in touch with us. So the youngest was a boy of six, But, of course, because it's a a series also about biomimicry, about these designs and technology, then we've had, you know, lecturers and professors from universities writing to us with their ideas and students writing to us about projects they're doing on where they've been inspired by it. So, actually, the breadth is much wider, which is absolutely fantastic. And I think probably there are different aspects of individual podcasts, you know, that appeal to different age groups. So I certainly wouldn't say, you know, it's it's limited to a particular age group. I'd say give it a go. Go, have a listen.
1: The other cool thing must be, of course, with it being BBC World Service being a podcast, these listeners will be spread all over the world. Are you hearing from people from all over the place?
3: Absolutely. And that was something that we had to be aware of when when we were making these, you know, because a lot of listeners, English may not be their first language. And some of the designs and ideas that we talk about in the programs can get quite technical and can be quite difficult. So not only are we trying to convey quite difficult ideas, but also, you know, make sure that people can understand what what, what it's all about. So we're going to be careful about the language, about terms. If we're using scientific terms, then we try to explain them, or we try to give analogies so that people understand what we're talking about. But yes, I mean, in terms of responses, they've been coming from from all across the world. And that's been absolutely fantastic.
1: I thought it was interesting as well. You decided to do the series as a scripted piece with kind of Patrick, uh, the presenter, talking about all different research via a script, but you weren't actually interviewing the scientists themselves about it. Why was that? And I think what's been really interesting is is by using just Patrick, you know, the
3: idea is that as a listener, you've got this very close connection with the presenter. He's talking to you. And so it makes it more personal and the style is very conversational. That's deliberate so that you know you feel like you're being you're being spoken to by one person. When we're researching and writing the scripts, we do contact the scientists who work we're talking about and check you know facts with them and check the scripts with them and make sure they're happy with what we're saying so we have involved them so it's it's been a different way of making a series but it but i think it's worked
1: i'm going to put you on the spot now i've been listening to quite a few episodes and i'm listening to things going my god i had no idea that muscles could do that or that the kingfisher could be used in this (laughs) way in the design of a train what are some of the things that you've been hearing that you've gone oh my god that's amazing
3: so often you don't think about these things. I mean, you mentioned there the, the train and, and the Kingfisher, that which is the first in the series. And, I mean, it's it's a really simple idea when you think about it, but just wonderful. So, for, for people that haven't heard the podcast, this is a story about the high-speed train in Japan, which originally had a blunted nose. And when it entered tunnels, the air, it was a bit like putting a plunger into a tunnel, so the air built up ahead of the train, which meant that you got a loud bang as the air was pushed down through the tunnel and emerged and then the train shot out. And that bang was louder than the environmental noise levels. But also what they wanted to do was try and make the train faster because they thought if they could stop, prevent this build-up of air and prevent the noise, it also make the train faster. And this engineer that worked on it was also a keen bird watcher and was at a meeting of a bird group where one of his colleagues there told him about how there were Scientists that had been inspired by birds in the design of planes. And this got this guy thinking. And what he observed was the way in which kingfishers, when they dive into water do so very quietly. They hardly make a splash. And so he became very interested in the streamlined shape of the kingfisher's beak. And he took the beak and studied the shape of the beak and the way it was built and realized that if he designed the front of the train like a kingfisher's beak, the air would glide over the nose of the train and not get blocked up and not produce this boom. And that's exactly what happened. And I mean, it's just, it's just a beautiful story, isn't it?
1: Sarah Blunt, the producer of 30 Animals That Made Us Smarter from the BBC World Service.